The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the Feast of the Circumcision, Spiritual Circumcision, and the Sacred Name of Jesus. How are we to pronounce the Sacred Name of Jesus so that it may be beneficial and profitable to us? This name certainly ought not to be pronounced carelessly or thoughtlessly. It is not enough to be aware that it is a two-syllable word, nor even less to speak it merely with the mouth. Parrots can do that. Infidels and Mohammedans name him perfectly well, as far as that goes, but they are not saved by thereby. Our Lord showed us how we are to say it. He shed his blood in receiving his name. In that, he indicated his willingness to do what this holy name signifies, to save. It is not enough to say it with your lips. It must be engraved upon your heart. How happy we would be to have alive in us all that our titles signify. For instance, it is not enough to call ourselves priest, bishop, or religious. Our actual lives must be congruent with these titles. We must take care of the charge we exercise and of the vocation in which we live. In short, we must assess how well our passions and affections are controlled and how submissive our judgment is and whether our actions are congruent with our state in life. It is recounted in the book of Judges that the great captain Jephthah was victorious against the Ammonites by a his daughter's tragic death and all his other troubles, Jephthah hoped that he would finally have peace and rest. But this was not to be, for a sedition was stirred up. The sons of Ephraim reproached him for not having invited them to war, although they were brave soldiers. They believed he had acted thus to slight them. Astonished to hear of this new trouble, good Jephthah said to them, my dear friends, you know very well that I invited you, but you excused yourselves. This is why, when the moment came for me to attack, I did. Unwilling to listen to his arguments, they declared war on him. God, however, took Jephthah's part because it was just, and so favored him that he slaughtered 42,000 and routed astonished Ephraim completely. Then Jephthah placed a guard and sentinels on the banks of the Jordan with a watchword. Ask anyone who wants passage who they are. If they answer that they are from Ephraim, kill them. And if they deny it, make them give the password Shibboleth. If they say Sibboleth, put them to death. But if they say Shibboleth, give them free passage. How happy we will be if at the hour of our death as well as during the whole of our lives, we pronounce the sacred name of the Savior with due respect. It will be like a password by which we will freely enter heaven, for it is the name of our redemption. In our last hour, if God gives us the grace not to die suddenly, we will have a priest near us who will hold a blessed candle in his hands and will call out to us, Remember our Redeemer. Say, Jesus, Jesus. Blessed will they be who pronounce it reverently and with the most profound appreciation of our Savior, having ransomed us with his blood and by his passion. Those who call upon the name well at the time of death will be saved. 
The opposite will be the fate of those who do not speak it well, and who pronounce it tepidly and without fervor. We ought most certainly to repeat it often during our lifetime, for it was given to his Son by the Eternal Father. It is a name which is above every other name, holy divine, gentle, and full of goodness. It is an oil poured out to heal all the wounds of our souls. At this sacred name, every knee bends. It is the name which gives joy to the angels, saves men, and causes demons to tremble. This is why it should be deeply engraved upon our hearts and our spirits, so that, blessing and honoring it in this life, we may be worthy of singing with the blessed, Live, Jesus! Live, Jesus! Sermon 9 The Wedding Feast of Cana Sermon for the Second Sunday After the Epiphany, January 17, 1621 Today I will deal with the first miracle, or as St. John calls it, the first sign, that our Lord performed to manifest His glory. First, we shall discuss how the miracle was accomplished, and secondly, by whom it was accomplished, and who took part in it. The evangelist declares that this was the first sign that Jesus performed to manifest His glory. I am well aware that some doctors argue that this miracle was not our Lord's first. But since not only St. John attests to it, but even St. Ambrose, and since the vast majority of ancient fathers agree, we accept it too. Let us begin by saying that this miracle was the first sign that the Savior himself gave to manifest his glory. Many prodigies, it is true, were wrought before this one, some by our Lord, some others in our Lord, and others for the coming of our Lord, as the Incarnation, the greatest of all, and the miracle of miracles. But the Incarnation was invisible, secret, and unknown. So exalted is it that it infinitely surpasses the comprehension of the angels and archangels. Consequently, it did not serve as a sign to manifest the glory of God, as did that performed at the wedding feast of Cana. The Incarnation is so preeminent and profound a mystery that it was never anticipated, nor could it be, by the ancient pagans and philosophers. Even those skilled in the law of Moses were unable to comprehend it, it being invisible and of such profundity that it far exceeds all human and angelic capacity to grasp. In this mortal life, we believe it because faith teaches it to us. But in heaven we will see it, and this will constitute part of our eternal felicity. Other miracles clustered around the Incarnation. One of the greatest is that the Divine Word was conceived and born of a woman who was at once both mother and virgin. Many marvels accompanied the birth of the Savior, as the appearance of the star which brought the Magi from the East. But although these signs were done to manifest our Lord's glory, it was not He who wrought them, but the Father and the Holy Spirit. Certainly as God, he wrought them also, for what the Father does, so do the Son and the Holy Spirit as well. But as to the miracle of Cana, it is properly the Son who wrought it. Here is a second difficulty. Many ancient fathers assert the probable truth that our divine Lord performed many miracles while he lived in Egypt and in his parents' house. But these too were very secret and invisible, 
because our Lord was not known at that time. Thus, the sign of Cana in Galilee, of which the evangelist speaks, was truly the first which he performed to manifest his glory. But what reflection shall we make as a consolation which our faith gives? Note that this first miracle was wrought by changing water into wine, just as the last wrought by Jesus Christ in his mortal sojourn was the changing of wine into his blood in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. We preachers of God's word are obliged to speak of each mystery as it is celebrated and to draw consolations from our faith. Today I will treat of the consolation which comes to us from our faith in the Eucharist. Our Lord is the first, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. To represent this truth about divinity, and to make it better understood, the Egyptians painted a serpent biting its tail. This made the serpent appear to be round, with neither beginning nor end. So our Lord, who from all eternity is the beginning of all things, will be the end of them for all eternity. He has always made the beginning like the end, a marvelous correspondence between the two. When God created Adam, the first sign of that creation was changing mud into a human body. Likewise, when Jesus Christ recreated, the first sign of this recreation was the transformation of one substance into another, the changing of water into wine. Yes, the Savior came to recreate what was lost. I will come, he said, to make a new man. Man was so destroyed by sin that he no longer appeared to be what he had been originally. That is why to renew him, our Lord began his recreation as he had done his creation. In the creation of man, God changed earth into human flesh, an amazing transformation. After saying, let us make man to our image and likeness, he took some clay and shaped it into a body, which was still only a mass of earth. Then he breathed into this body, and the mass was changed into flesh and blood. He made of it a living man. Something similar occurs in the recreation our Lord begins by transforming water into wine, giving this sign to reveal his glory. He always manifests this correspondence in all his works. Look at him at the moment of his entrance into the world. He was born quite naked from his mother's womb. According to the revelations of St. Bridget, the Most Holy Virgin found him naked before her eyes, having given birth to this most blessed fruit without labor and without prejudice to her virginity. She being absorbed in a gentle, loving, and comforting contemplation, the Savior came forth unnoticed from her womb. Coming out of her rapture, she saw him there quite naked. She took him and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and little woolens. He chose to leave this world as he had entered it, dying quite naked on the tree of the cross. After his death, he was taken down, allowing himself to be shrouded in swathing bands, as he had done at his nativity. Our Lord was born crying and wailing, as the Book of Wisdom testifies. Although a great and wonderful king, I was born like all children, crying and wailing. Though it really refers to Solomon, the passage may readily be applied to our Lord. Thus our true Solomon, though born sovereign king of the earth, 
yet willed to be born weeping, and accordingly to die weeping. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS. Published in 1987 by Ten Books and Publishers Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling 1-800-437-5876. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network. News and talk for Catholic and other Christians.